0: Uh, we're tracking through our way through Matthew's Gospel. Uh, we started in week one of our time together with the story of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, the Gospel according to Matthew. And then we looked at how Jesus, the resurrected Christ, called His followers to come meet Him at Galilee. And then last week we zoomed in on the first part of the Great Commission, this empowering promise that all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to Christ, therefore... Because He has all power, all authority, we're called to go. And this week we're going to examine what exactly the mission of the great commission is. So I'm going to read Matthew 28 verses 16 through 20 to remind us of the context in which Jesus spoke these words. Uh, It begins by saying, The eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So as I mentioned before, this passage is known as the Great Commission, because Jesus is sending His followers out on a mission with Him. Commission. And today we're going to focus on the mission part, when Jesus told his followers, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. That's the mission that we're given. So in order to understand this mission, well, in order to do this mission, we first have to understand it. So what is a disciple? Because that's what we're supposed to make. And that's the key word in this passage, Jesus told this command to his disciples, and then he referenced the disciples that his disciples were called to make. So, Jesus to his disciples, to their future disciples. So, we have to wrap our arms around and our our lives around this word of disciple. It's a very important question, what is a disciple? And fortunately, the New Testament gives us plenty of clarity because it uses the word 269 times. And today, we use the word Christian to define our beliefs, which is also a a biblical word, but it's only used three times. And every time it's used, it's used to refer to a disciple of Christ. They should mean the same thing. And they do in the Bible. But unfortunately, over time, these words have come to mean different things to different people in different places. And so both of these words need an explanation, because we live in a culture where you can be a Christian, you can be looked at as a Christian, you can self-identify as a Christian without dealing with the commands, the teachings that Jesus actually said regarding his disciples, regarding the people who follow him. So Dallas Willard, uh, he's now dead, but he was a very famous Christian author and philosopher, and he wrote a book about what it meant according to Jesus to be a disciple of him. And he titled this book The Great Omission because what's left out often in our zeal to carry out the great commission is making disciples. Rather than just making converts, we're called to make disciples. So Willard talks about how we do good things often and we think that... uh, we're falling in line with the teachings of Jesus when we ask Him into our heart, when we get baptized, and we get, when we go to church, and that's what makes us a Christian. Or you do the right things, and you know your Bible, you're memorizing the Bible, and that's what makes you a Christian. But a disciple doesn't just memorize these words, that doesn't just hear them, doesn't just put in a once-a-week thing. A disciple gives their life in order to learn under the Master, And the problem is, with all the good things that associate themselves with Christianity today, you can do all of them without the teachable heart, without the hands-on training, and without the sold-out level of commitment which is required of a Christian, which is required of a disciple according to the Bible. So there's a disparity that exists in the minds of most American Christians today. I'm not saying all, but this is what Willard has noted over the course of his life, The disparity that exists between a Christian and a disciple, according to what we think, versus the Bible, which is one and the same. And throughout the ages, there have been misunderstandings about what exactly Christianity is and how to live it. And we see it even in the first verses of the book of Galatians. Paul writes to the church and he says, "...I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the One who called you to live in the grace of Christ." And you're turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. So ever since the first century, there's been misunderstanding and confusion about what it means to follow Jesus, what we're to believe, what we're to do. But even though that's unfortunate, it's also a great opportunity because it highlights exactly who we are called to be in God's word. So even though we're living in this climate where discipleship and Christianity both need an explanation as to what you mean by it, that's an opportunity for us to put into practice the words that Paul told Timothy, which is, watch your life and your doctrine closely. So let's go through an example of this. If someone says, I'm a Christian, then a good question to ask is, well, what does it mean for you to be a Christian? And then don't compare that to what you think it is. Compare it to what God's Word defines as a believer. So, if they say, well, that means I'm a Southern Baptist, or that means I was raised Catholic, or that means I go to a Presbyterian church, therefore I'm a Christian, that doesn't really answer the question, does it? That just tells me what they probably teach you there. It doesn't really tell me what you believe, that tells me who you associate with. And then other people say, well, I believe that God exists, therefore I'm a Christian. Then, let's go back to the test. God's Word says that even the demons believe, but they believe in such a way that doesn't change their lives, doesn't change who they are. And many people today would say, I'm a Christian because I prayed a prayer and I asked Jesus into my heart, so I'm going to heaven and not hell. And that's true. And they might be a Christian, but they might also just be using Jesus as insurance on their eternity, and in God's Word, Jesus says, Not all who say to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So these are some dangerous, dangerously close truths, but they still fall short of the truth. They're dangerously close to the truth, I should say. Like Jesus said, many will come to me in, the, in, in that day and say, Lord, did we not do this and do that, do all these good things in your name? And he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. Because going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. Keith Green said that years ago, and it's still true today. If a Christian is mostly described in the New Testament as a disciple, then what's a disciple? We don't use that term today. Not often, at least. Not outside these walls. But we live like disciples. We are influenced by things. We learn. And that's exactly what a disciple is. It's a learner, a student. Willard's favorite description was an apprentice. And last week, we looked at William Carey's life. Uh, as an illustration to the text. And Carey was an apprentice to a cobbler. He studied under this shoemaker. He learned how to make shoes, and then eventually he became a cobbler himself. And Jesus described his followers this way in Luke 6, 40. The student, the disciple, is not above the teacher. Jesus is the teacher. But everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. And so to be a disciple simply means to be engaged in the process of becoming like your master. And if, you, if your master is Jesus, then you're engaged in the process of becoming like him. So with all that in mind, let's go back to Matthew 28, and let's look at what Jesus tells his disciples to do. He says, make other disciples. And if their ultimate allegiance really does lie with Jesus, if he really is their master, then they're going to pursue doing What he tells them to, what he saw him do, what they saw him do, um, to make disciples, to mark disciples in baptism, and to mature disciples. So, making disciples, we are going to produce whatever we are. If we've just prayed a prayer to Jesus, then that's what it means for us to make a disciple. Invite someone else to pray a prayer to Jesus. But Jesus warned the Pharisees about what they were producing. And these were the guys who knew a lot about the Bible. So if we're someone who looks at Christianity and being a good Christian is knowing a lot about the Bible, then we're going to produce something a lot like the Pharisees. And this is what Jesus said to them in Matthew 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when you've succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. So not all missions... Our good mission. We need to be aware of what we're forming and what we're becoming because the best way to combat the, the disparity that shouldn't exist but that does of a Christian and a disciple is to live a life as a student of Jesus, a lifelong student, and lovingly invite others into that process with you. You're becoming like Christ, your growth in Christ. Matters in your evangelism. Normally, we think of discipleship as like I want to grow in my faith, and that's that track right over here. And then evangelism is I want to include other people in the faith, and that's a track over here. They're together. Who you are and what you're inviting others into matters. It they they there's synergy. There's a, a cooperation between the two because there's no part of your life and my life that is unaffected by our discipleship to Christ and how how much we're letting him speak into our lives so that's what Jesus was talking about with making disciples and then he told them to mark their future disciples baptism is a public profession of their faith it doesn't save you but it's an outward sign of what Jesus did in dying on the cross and being raised back to life and it's an it's an outward sign of what we do as followers of Jesus we die to our old selves and And we experience new life in Christ. That's a real inward change that happens. And Willard described baptism as being immersed in the Trinity. And I really like that because I don't really normally think of it that way. But that's exactly what baptism means. To be immersed is to be baptized. And Jesus said to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's the Trinity. The one name of the one God. So instead of being immersed in your life and in yourself, you're a person who's marked, not perfectly, but you're a person who's marked by the direction of growing in immersion with God. You're becoming like Him. And then to mature disciples, Jesus said, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And we won't be the type of people who provide the constant ongoing training that's necessary to become like the master if we don't see the value of that training ourselves. And that's, not, that's more than just going to church and memorizing Scripture. That's actually playing the game Jesus says. Not Simon says, but Jesus says. Oftentimes, you know you know the game Simon says, where Simon says this and then you do it. And then you say, do this, and you shouldn't do it, right? Like Simon says, pat your head, pat your head. Rub your tummy, you shouldn't rub your tummy. But in, when, we, when we play the game Jesus says, often... It's, Jesus says, love your enemies. Oh, I know that Jesus said that. I can I can quote that. I know where that's located. But do we really do it? It's difficult to be a disciple of Jesus. It challenges us. It takes the control away from us. But that's what it means to teach them to obey. Not just to teach them, but to teach them to obey everything. Not just the things that come naturally to us or the things that we're gifted at, but teach them to obey everything that Jesus commanded. And the most helpful, or one of the most helpful things for me in engaging this process has been finding a mentor, someone who lives this out. And there's going to be a limit to every mentor, but if you're a follower of Christ, you also have access to the mentorship of Jesus. He's present and active in your life, so learn how to be mentored by Him, but also find a human mentor, one that's right here, right now with you, and you can learn from him as well. Because when you find a mentor, you'll understand how to be a mentor. And that's what it means to be a disciple. You can't just be a follower. You have to be a leader. Because a disciple is called to make other disciples. That's part of the everything that we're called to obey. It's not just for some. It's not just for the elite, the Christian elite, because there's no such thing. And that's part of the disparity that unfortunately exists. But there's also, I think, some confusion like, okay, if we're all disciples and we're all called to be a part of this process of making disciples, how do we do that? It's really overwhelming. And whenever you have a significant task at hand, you really need a good plan. So these are all smaller tasks than making a disciple, but you'll see what I mean. I'm using them as examples. If you wanna buy a house, set a budget, identify areas that you want to live, view the houses, offer and negotiate. And so you need a plan to buy a house. That's a task you need a plan for. If you want to throw a party and have people over to your house, make a list of things you need to do. Clean, uh, get some food, decide who you're gonna invite, what are you gonna do for entertainment? And then you have to execute that plan. But for every task, you need a great plan. The Kansas City Chiefs are opening their season today. And they've spent weeks, probably months, uh, game planning, you know, so that they can achieve the task of winning game one. And there are a lot of different ways that good Bible-believing churches go about trying to accomplish this task that Jesus gave his followers, the task of making disciples who would make other disciples. Some of them do it primarily through building programs. It's a mentality of build it and they will come. Others have lots of events with the hope that people will show up on Sunday and uh, be changed there. They might even share the gospel at those events. And even though we had an event, and even though we're about to have some work done on the buildings, uh, we don't expect the new roofs that we're putting on these buildings to make anyone into a disciple. That's that's not our plan. Our plan and God's plan is found right in this passage. It's found before the Great Commission and after the Great Commission, in the promises that He gives. It's basically, to sum it up in a word, it's found in relationship. And that's exactly what the word disciple means. Disciple is a word that defines our relationship with God. It says, you must become like Jesus. And Hebrews 12 says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So as we grow in our holiness we will actually become increasingly effective and increasingly inspired witnesses. If we're to be faithful disciples, we have to be good, teachable students under Christ. And as we experience the personal change that happens, everyone will see the Lord. It will take time. It won't happen quickly. But that's what I need, and that's what you need, is faithful discipleship under Christ. So then the question naturally becomes, well, what can you do? What can I do to be more like Jesus, to be a faithful disciple? And Luke, uh, Jesus answers that question uh, in a passage in Luke 14. There were large crowds traveling with Jesus, and he turned to those crowds and said, If anyone comes to me and doesn't hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. So what do we have to do? We have to love Jesus more than anyone and anything else. We have to have total commitment, total allegiance to Him. Otherwise, we're going to be shaped and formed into someone and something else other than the image of Christ. And the word hate that Jesus employs definitely gets our attention. But what the message is, is we can't love anyone more than Jesus. Those are lesser loves. So our highest commitment is to him, is to learning under him, to apprenticing under him. And so it's a it's a life, it's, it spans our whole life. It's a life-encompassing commitment to be a learner under Christ. And Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer is another famous theologian. He, he acknowledged and he wanted to promote this biblical truth that when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Discipleship is not easy. It's not for the faint of heart. You can't do it half-heartedly. But uh, but Willard, Dallas Willard, uh, he he looked at it from a different angle, which I find very helpful. Even though discipleship, uh, it it calls for all of us, it requires our whole life. The cost of non-discipleship, Willard says, is far greater. It costs us the fullness of life Christ came to bring. So even though Jesus is asking everything of you and everything of me, for him to not ask that would not be loving because he's giving us the very best life possible in relationship with him. So uh, Luke 14, 27 also says, Whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. So that means that even in the midst of suffering and shame, the best possible life is found in Christ. So no one does this perfectly, but this is the direction that we are to be set on. This is supposed to be our life's highest priority. And if not, you're just missing out on the best possible life. You're you're missing out on experiencing God, which is what we were designed for. It's what we are made for. So this passage also gives us hope, though, because with the bar set so high... <laughs> Who can really be a disciple of Jesus? And he says, all nations, anyone, anywhere, of any time. Anyone who's willing to commit to a lifelong apprenticeship under Jesus' power is accepted into his apprenticeship program. So the intention here was for Jesus' followers to take this apprenticeship and make it known to the whole world. And it happened one person at a time. One person being trained at a time. And we saw last week in the story of William Carey, he was an apprentice that was actually falling away from the faith, but God brought another apprentice, John War, into his life and helped, helped, him, uh, helped restore his walk with God. And so when we offer it to our co-workers, like John War, he probably had no idea that William Carey would go on and share the gospel with so many people in India And impact so many lives. When we are faithful at our post, God will use us to make disciples. And so we have a lot of nations around us even in the states today. But we don't have to always look at going. We need to be faithful with where we're at right now. And then when God calls us to go or he calls us to send someone to go on our behalf, then we'll make disciples of all nations. But it's not just going to happen when we go on a mission trip. It needs to be part of who we are. Discipleship is our life. And there's probably a group of people here that have thought during this message, well, I've just messed up too badly. I've got too much of a past. I've been away from church too long. And I just want to say it's not too late for you. As long as you're still breathing, you can choose to live as an apprentice to Jesus. Find a mentor. Find someone to help encourage you because we all need help in growing in our walk with Christ. And as you grow you will go. As you experience the power of God in your life, you will be compelled to share it with others. And the original 12, they messed up all the time. And it was Jesus' patient kindness that led them to change. So, if you're just ridden with guilt, because this, this was me, much of my life, I spent being a Christian, but not taking seriously the teachings of Jesus. Just let Jesus' patient kindness grip your heart and lead you to change. And then there's probably another group that says, I can't do it. It's too hard for me. That's exactly the point. We need to lean in to Christ. You can't be a disciple on your own because you can't be your own teacher and your own student. You have to lean in to His teaching. Ask for His help. Trust that His power is made perfect in weakness. And then there's probably a group that says, but I'm just a teacher. I'm just a civic worker. I don't know how this fits in my ordinary everyday life. Well, Jesus' offer of discipleship spans across all vocations. He's He's the most brilliant man who's ever lived, and he's still alive. So he can train you exactly where you are. If you're an engineer, if you're a teacher, he can disciple you in the context of your everyday life. So Jesus is inviting us into something much larger than simply accomplishing a task, accomplishing the Great Commission. He's actually inviting us with this command to go and make disciples. He's inviting us into a deeper relationship with Himself. And that's where we'll experience Him. So let's pray. Talk to God about your life. And what what has had your heart's attention this week? What have you been a student to? And how have you tried to solve that problem? Jesus, we believe that you want to form us to become like you. When a student is fully trained, he'll become like his master. We want to be like you. We trust you that you will form us into your image as we learn and apprentice under you.